0: What matters more, the beginning or the end? What do you care more about, the context or the result? Sure, a reasonable mind would say both are key. But we're not in reasonable times. So you're going to have to make a choice. The Democrats and Adam Schiff began their impeachment hearing today with one goal in mind. Remind everyone that the actions taken by this president are worthy of impeachment and removal. Make no mistake, this is not a flippant errand. This is deadly, serious, and something that brings no joy to these politicians. Insert quote from Founding Father here. Cue Fife and Drum. This is a duty of Congress. Not for today, but for the lifespan of this American experiment. For it is only with due diligence that we shall not fall from the beacon of freedom to an authoritarian morass for which we may never escape. And so... It is with that that we remind you that the President's acting Chief of Staff put a hold on the aid for the country of Ukraine.
1: They did confirm that the hold on security assistance for Ukraine came from Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, who maintained a skeptical view of Ukraine.
0: That a career diplomat is convinced this happened as part of a quid pro quo to further a domestic political agenda.
1: Very concerned, on that same day, September 1st, I sent Ambassador Sondland a text message asking if we are now saying that the security assistance and a White House meeting are conditioned on investigations. In fact, Ambassador Sondland said, everything was dependent on such an announcement, including security assistance.
0: And the big finale, that a member of that ambassador's staff overheard the president telling another diplomat that he only cared about Ukraine if it could indeed damage that political opponent.
1: Last Friday, a member of my staff told me of events that occurred on July 26th. While Ambassador Volker and, I, Volker and I visited the front, this a member of my staff accompanied Ambassador Sondland, Ambassador Sondland met with Mr. Yerbak. Following that meeting, in the presence of my staff, at a restaurant, Ambassador Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kiev. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for.
0: This... Friends and fellow citizens is not just a call for November 2019, but rather November 2059. November 2099. All will look back and say, this is where we held. This is where authoritarianism would march no longer. Yes. And, reply the Republicans, say, if you only look at cherry-picked third-hand facts devoid of any context, then this indeed certainly looks bad. But the faux-moralism of the Democrats is wearying. Because behind the pomp and circumstance of yet another attempt to unseat a president they've despised since inauguration, indeed, we find revealed that this is not a solemn duty. This, rather, is a performance orchestrated by the Democrats recruiting well-meaning but out-of-touch worry warts to act out a narrative so the audience of media members can gasp, cry, and cheer their heroes as they finally slay the appointed villain. After all... No playwright began a great story without the ending in mind. Pay no attention to the fact that this is the second attempt to open this production. But the main performance,
1: The Russia Hoax, has ended. And you've been cast in the low-rent Ukrainian sequel.
0: After all, all the capitals of stage... And all the Democrats and deep staters merely players. Cue applause. (laughs) But the show is over. Because this isn't just political. This is impeachment. This is to prove high crimes and misdemeanors, so let's do ourselves a favor if we're in an all-or-nothing game and look at the context. Indeed, the inconvenient truth, the Republicans contend, is that Ukraine was not some idle target for President Trump, one that only held within it the sweet, treasured pearl of a Biden investigation. No, they had a history of antagonism toward him.
1: It quotes Ukrainian parliamentarian Andrei Artemenko saying, quote, it was clear they were supporting Hillary Clinton's candidacy. They did everything from organizing meetings with the Clinton team to publicly supporting her to criticizing Trump. I think that they simply didn't meet with the Trump campaign because they thought Hillary would win, unquote.
0: And knowing that, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, did more than his predecessor for the country of Ukraine. In fact, he took the advice of some of his top ambassadors.
1: During the 2014 to 2016 period, I was serving outside of government and joined two other former ambassadors to Ukraine in urging the Obama administration officials at the State Department Defense Department and other agencies to provide lethal defensive weapons to Ukraine in order to deter further Russian aggression. I also supported much stronger sanctions on Russia. I was pleased when the Trump administration provided Javelin anti-tank missiles and enacted stronger sanctions.
0: And for that, he only hoped, not insisted, hoped that they'd continue their admirable crusade to clean up corruption corruption and graft that is
2: plain to see for frozen assets uh, that we have a fiduciary responsibility uh, and we've continued to press ukrainian officials uh, to answer for why alleged corrupt prosecutors had closed a case uh, and we have uh, till now not gotten a satisfactory answer so to summarize we thought that is Zlochevsky had stolen money. We thought a prosecutor had taken a bribe to shut the case, and those were our main concerns. And are you in favor of that matter being fully investigated and prosecuted? I think since U.S. taxpayer dollars were wasted, I would love to see the Ukrainian prosecutor general's office find who the corrupt prosecutor was that took the bribe and how much it was paid. And that's what I said to the deputy prosecutor general on February 3rd, 2015. But in addition to prosecuting the person that took the bribes, shouldn't the organization or individual that sponsored the bribes be prosecuted? I would agree that the Ukrainian law authorities should uphold the rule of law and hold people account for breaking Ukrainian law.
0: Quite simply, friends, if you understand the beginning, it clarifies the results. Or... Wait, if you understand the gravity of the results, it doesn't matter how we got there. This is a solemn duty. No, it's a farcical show. You can only pick one, and you have to make a choice. Which brings us to the only real question that we have to ask ourselves today. Is anyone who walked in believing one side going to walk out having changed their mind? Well, we have two weeks to find out. With thanks to everybody who supports us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, politics, politics, politics begins now. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young. This is the November 13th, 2019 edition of the program. We got a lot to talk about. Obviously, those were all clips from today's hearing. I'm not going to overreact to it. I'm not. Plenty of people doing that. You can go other places. That's all anybody else is doing. I do think that the idea of the Taylor aide that heard the Sondland conversation is legitimate, but it's not a death trap for the Trump folks. We're just going to have to watch this play out. I thought it was more significant to set the scene than to make any gigantic pronouncements. So there we are. We have a new entrant into the 2020 race. We've got new polls that possibly show a new frontrunner in Iowa. We have new projections for the economy that could have more of an effect on the 2020 election than everything we're paying attention to right now. We have a new visit by the campaign undertaker, or do we? And we have an interview with Brian Sack a great comedian who's got a brand new podcast, and I would encourage you all to not only listen to the interview, but also download his show. But first, let's begin. Rudy Giuliani may or may not be launching the most popular podcast of all time. This according to several reports from CNN and other outlets. Apparently, Rudy was loudly talking about his podcast As uh, he was sitting at a restaurant, the people next to him just hit their record button on, on their iPhone app and presumably just sent it to CNN. Rudy's team did not deny it. But allegedly, a man who is at the heart of this impeachment inquiry, who will not be testifying before the House, will instead take his case Right to the people by way of a podcast. What do you think he's going to go with Roman or blue chew? It's got to be one of them because that's the demo. If you're like, hell yeah, a a Rudy podcast, let me call my granddaughter so she can load it on my phone. You're going to need one of those for hymns, Maybe you're going to need one of those. This is the, the, the audience that he is speaking to in all seriousness though. I, I genuinely believe this might be one of the most significant things we have ever seen in history. Like this is such a bizarre example of the, the democratization of media. I, I can't even really wrap my head around it. I put a Twitter poll out asking whether or not people would download the Rudy podcast. Here are the results. of respondents said yes. And 66% of respondents are liars! Liar! Liar! Liar pants! You have liar pants! You've bought pants that are specifically fit and cut for liars! Stop it! It's a free thing that you're going to be able to download on your phone and no one will ever know it. Are you telling me that if you're listening to anything that I say, all right, if you find me any kind of interesting political pundit, that your curiosity stops with the center of an impeachment inquiry speaking without a net? I mean, did you watch that impeachment thing that happened today? The the, 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 the Taylor and Kent Testimonies, because by the way, let me me remind you guys what were major parts of both of the opening statements by Schiff and Nunes. Schiff went all in on talking about how Mick Mulvaney had already admitted to a quid pro quo. And Nunes took Schiff's parody of the the transcript and said this is how he uh, described it, right? either are not incorrect, both are deliberate misinterpretations of what was said, or at the very least, uncharitable interpretations of of what was said, and deliberately ignoring clarifications that came afterward. So you're telling me, That if Rudy Giuliani has a podcast and he's flabbing his gums talking about whatever that weird Rudy brain is cooking up. That you're not going to listen to it because you won't want to know what they are going to talk about in the impeachment hearings the next day. Because by the way, that's what they're going to do. It is in my opinion that Rudy Giuliani might have the most downloaded podcast of all time. We'll see whether or not it comes out. In fact, it might be out now. Deval Patrick is the new challenger for the 2020 race. He's the former governor of Massachusetts, and he complicates life for one Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren has been very complimentary of Deval Patrick, and now he's in the race. More specifically, this complicates things for Elizabeth Warren in New Hampshire, Because if Elizabeth Warren is leading in New Hampshire because, in part, she is a senator from the large state of Massachusetts that is in the same region and shares a lot of the same mass media, then what about Deval Patrick? That's the core demo. Massachusetts Democrats or New Hampshire voters that pay attention to Massachusetts Democratic politics. I'll tell you what, man, I don't know why. Why is he in? Why are people getting in right now? Like there seems like all the planks are covered. You've got multi you've, you've got redundancies on the progressive wing. you've got redundancies. On the moderate wing, you've got the dude from out of nowhere, and I got something for Andrew Yang, by the way. Andrew Yang totally screwed up. I know that I've I've gone I've waxed rhapsodical about how much I appreciate the Yang campaign, but they screwed up today, and I'm going to play that in a second. But you got him. What in, 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 in Jehoshaphat is Deval Patrick going to offer to this race? I have no idea. No clue. Unless, of course, he starts polling well. In that case, I'll take him far more seriously. We have new economic indicators. And I'm going to say this now. Listen to me now. Believe me later on. But these kinds of reports, if they bear out, have more of a direct impact on who will win the presidency in 2020 than anything that is happening in Washington, D.C. right now. This is from Axios.com. Money managers are not just bullish about the stock market. They're euphoric about the current and future state of the global economy, according to data from Bank of America Merrill Lynch. The monthly survey of fund managers from around the world finds investors are all in on the stock market with global optimism rising by the most in 20 years and expectations of real economic growth jumping by the most in the history of the survey. Why? Well, a lot of people are putting some some money into the idea that there's going to be a pause in the U.S.-China trade war and slight improvements in U.S. and global manufacturing. If that's the case, and we are in a robust economy by the time that November 2020 rolls around, I'm just saying now, it increases the odds that Donald Trump will win. Whether or not he will, whether or not uh, the, the the House is is up for grabs, whether or not the Senate is up for grabs, remains to be seen. I'm just saying that the fundamentals matter, and this is one of the fundamentals. It's like death and taxes. The economy is going to matter in this presidential race. You know, speaking about death, Actually, no, no. You want to know what? Cut the music. Cut the music. That's all you get. You get, you get two and uh, one quarter gongs. Uh, Mark Sanford dropped out. Who? Who's Mark Sanford? You might ask. Well, uh, you know, some some of you will know who Mark Sanford is because he has one of the best sex scandals of all time. Uh, but he also was the former governor of South Carolina. Then he became a representative uh, from South Carolina. Then he became a never-Trumper and lost his seat. And then he decided he was going to run for president. And 60 days later, he dropped out. Uh, So there's that. You know, he spent 60 days committed to it. Uh, That's about 55 days longer than he spent missing from the governor's mansion while he was having an affair with his mistress in Buenos Aires, Argentina. But... Godspeed to you, Mark Sanford. Uh, You are no longer running for president. And I don't know how many more times I can mention the fact that you went missing from your job as the head of state in South Carolina because you had the insatiable need for the carnal pleasures of your mistress and your staff had to lie and say that you are hiking the Appalachian trail. This might be the last time I'm feeling wistful For the fact that I won't be able to mention your hilarious, tawdry affair anymore after this. Unless you do something. Can you run for president again? I apologize for giving you two and a quarter gongs. I do. (sighs) Adios. Politics! Andrew Yang. He came to prominence largely through an interview with Joe Rogan. Uh, It has been cited by the campaign itself as something... That has been tremendously beneficial. People just hear about his candidacy in one sentence. They don't like him. They hear him over a longer period of time. They do like him. So you would think that longer form interviews are the things he wants to maximize. And yet he was on The Breakfast Club today, which for all intents and purposes, is the modern Howard Stern in terms of radio interviews, syndicated radio interviews. And he sucked. I'm going to
2: play this clip. This is Andrew Yang sucking. Right now, more and more of us are getting pushed to the side. And this is before AI leaves the lab and starts ripping apart jobs uh, in corporations around the country. You know, one of the biggest critiques people have of you is that, like, that's all you got. It's like you're a one trick pony. You, oh, I got If lots you're not of talking tricks. about
0: giving said away said I money, <laughs> I got lots of stuff. If you're not tricks. talking about giving away money, you have nothing else to talk about.
2: Uh, you know, I've got over 160 policies on my website uh, for everything from banning robocalls because that stuff should be illegal. Like, why are we letting these still companies harass they us? They said it was
0: cut down. That still happens to me at least twice a day.
2: Oh, me too. And and now the phone numbers look like your phone numbers. So you get confused for a second. <laughs> so you answer Like, am I calling myself? Mm-hmm. Like, ban robocalls, legalize weed. Like, it makes no sense to have that stuff be illegal in some parts of the country when in others it's legal and it's a much more... Uh, safe way to manage pain for people than a lot of the opiates that are out there that are killing people. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. If uh, people are voting for you because you're banning robocalls, we really
1: got to make America think harder.
0: That's a bad answer. That's exactly the answer you don't want to give if you're Andrew Yang. The fact that you came back with, all right, you're a one-trick pony. These are the kinds of questions he needs to be answering. If he wants to get out of this 3% gravity well, if he wants to really play... In Iowa, if he wants to really play in New Hampshire, if he wants to really play in Nevada, which is a long shot, he's a long shot candidate. Then you got to answer that better. You have to be up on that. Now, every candidate has bad days, and I'm not saying that this is the end for Andrew Yang. But I did want to point this out because I have pointed out a million different gaffes with other candidates. I've been very complimentary of Andrew Yang. And so here we go. My apologies to the Yang gang. He, he sucked there. Bad. Politics! I want to thank everybody who supports us right here on TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 a week, you get two bonus podcasts. That's four podcasts a week in your life from me especially with these impeachment hearings going on. We're going to have the trial in the Senate most likely. Now is the time to make sure you are not without any of the analysis that you can repeat without credit to your friends so you sound smarter. Come on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com I also have a big fat winner for you. Beto O'Rourke is out of the race, and that means that we are going to send his campaign sign to one lucky listener who went to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, found last week's episode, and commented, gong, that listener's name is Justin Whitson. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Go ahead and email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. And we will square away the rest. One final reminder, free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. That's where you need to go. Thank you to everybody who has continued to fight the scourge of Al Doritos. Yes, the vicious algorithm that lives inside Google and keeps my newsletter out of your hands. It works hard, so we work hard. Every single newsletter that you get, if you can do me a favor, help fight the algorithm by just responding to it with anything you'd like. And one final note. Some of you are aware that I have been working on a new podcast miniseries for over a year now about the 1960 election. It's called Raise the Dead. Well, now it's called Raise the Dead, Nixon versus Kennedy. And you are going to get the first episode exclusively here on this podcast feed. So for whatever reason, whatever reason, if if you're listening to this and you're not subscribed, if you have a friend that used to subscribe or you want to turn them on to this, the first episode of Raise the Dead will go live just in time for your Thanksgiving travel on November 26th November 26th raise the dead episode one will go live it is part one of a six-part series Uh, from there it will then have its own podcast feed uh, and the rest of them will start going up in December, but I wanted you guys it was very important to me that I got this in your guys's hands because you are the reason why I do this for a living. Nothing happens without you. And I want you guys to have it first before even whatever crowd gathers on that other feed goes. So uh, be prepared. The 26th of November, you get the first episode of raise the dead politics joining me as an expert
3: on international affairs and a former employee of the cia please welcome buck sexton
2: thanks for having me tonight brian i'm excited to get deep into the substance Sorry, sweet- uh, Buck.
3: Hold on i'm sorry getting reports of a shooting downtown okay uh, joining me from the scene is matt fisher matt
0: brian police are reporting that just moments ago a gunman who is still at large and believed to be in the building entered the occidental bank building and opened fire
3: Shooting in a bank? I've never heard of that. Are you, are you sure it's just one gunman? Maybe there are two or three. The police are saying one gunman. I imagine that will change. Do we, do we know who this shooter voted for in 2012? I'm sorry? Is there any chance he was a Romney supporter? Do we know his party affiliation? Uh, Brian, this is all very fluid. Details at the moment are very, very sketchy. What we do know is... Black? Huh? Is
0: he black? Hispanic? White? White Hispanic? Brian, this just happened. You think he got his gun legally? That is a sketch entitled Fact-Free News Reporting. It initially aired on a show called the BS of A, a sketch comedy show on The Blaze. Did you know The Blaze had a sketch comedy show? I was unaware until I watched a bunch of sketches and they were really, really, really funny. Brian joins us now to talk about comedy, the Glenn Beck taint, and so much more. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Now, uh, this is something that I'm, I'm, it is my constant crusade. And uh, we, we've had other comedians on that have written for late night shows. But I, I have a general existential problem about why political comedy is kind of bad right now. I think as a general state. So I guess we'll start here. Do you agree with my premise that political comedy in general is just in a bit of a low point?
3: Oh, it absolutely is, and it only gets worse the closer you get to an actual election yeah, So I don't expect it to be you know any more ple unpleasant it's going to get worse as we get towards next November and you know, what you find now is it's okay you could make jokes about the very you know, because before the primaries you can make jokes before about various candidates, but then as it gets narrowed down, it gets less and less funny to people who have a vested interest in their candidate winning and, yeah. and then it gets ugly yeah
0: and, and everything I guess the 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 issue that i have is that normally like I, I could understand why political comedy was in kind of weird confused place with obama because by and large a lot of comedians are liberal they very much admired obama so it was hard to sort of take an absurdist uh a uh, uh, hammer to that idea right to, to to point out things that we all know but can then laugh about and find funny normally political comedy is on an uptick when there's a Republican in office or a conservative in office and comedians feel a little bit more free to take shots, but just a little,
3: just a little bit,
0: just a touch, just a touch. <laughs> but like we, we really, it's, we're in this bizarre place where the, the, the comedy is, let's just repeat a thing that happened and then maybe make a silly face.
3: Yeah. It's, uh it's, no, I mean, and Trump is really hard you know, because, I mean, it, I mean, he almost parodies himself in so many ways. And I, I think people have a really hard time other than just being upset. And I went and saw Colbert not long ago. And like the entire show was actually more it was more like a wake. It was kind of depressing <laughs> because, you know, I mean, it, you know, there was an opening sketch and that was about Trump. And then Colbert came out and a, it was a monologue about Trump. And then I think a guest came out and he talked about Trump. And it was really like. It was more like this somber, like, man, this really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of comedy there. And I just kept looking at my friends like, where's the funny? You know, like they, they're not they're not funny. They're sad.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and uh, we had uh, Jack Allison, who's uh, a very funny comedian and and uh, on on the progressive side. But he used to write for Jimmy Kimmel. And he was huh? saying that the there you know there there used to be in the monologue you got that spot at the end where you keep your killer joke right because you know that that one's going to get a great reaction it's going to be laughter that you throw to commercial on uh because people have a good feeling they're going to tune back in uh now that spot is the let's make a point and we all agree with it like it, it is the speak truth the power spot now which i think Kind of encapsulates where we are in in this idea of like, all right, well, comedy either has to be like, it's going to be very mean because we know Donald Trump watches this. So it's like the enjoyment is, boy, is he going to feel bad when he hears and sees this joke we're making about him.
3: Right. And then they pray that he tweets about it the next morning.
0: (laughs) Well, then there's that. There is the idea of professional, uh, the the, the, the circle of professional uh, uh, benefit there. But uh, all right. So you did a show called uh, the uh, BS of A on the Blaze Network. Now you are doing questionable material. I would highly recommend for anybody uh, to just get a sense of Brian's work. Go watch on YouTube fact free news reporting. It's a three minute sketch. And as somebody who is a, a, a tremendous fan of sketch comedy writing, to me, it is it is a no fat, perfect skewering of media and, and, and politics. It is edited within an inch of its life. So uh, 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 congratulations on that. I'd encourage people to go watch it. But what is your general philosophy when it comes to political comedy?
3: you know, I, I, I believe like, like, so my show that when I had the show, the BS of a, it was on the blaze network, which is obviously a, a partisan network, uh, but I'm not a partisan person. I'm I, I identified as kind of like a libertarian, classical liberal type person. Uh, and, and, uh, Beck, to his credit, you know, told us well, if it deserves to be poked at just poke, you yeah. know, this, it, it doesn't matter we're on the political spectrum. It was a very hard tightrope to walk because you know, you're making jokes about people's candidates on, on a partisan network. They don't expect that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, sometime we ran into trouble in one instance, I, and this was, a, I had made a, made a Palin joke in a monologue and got, I mean, Steve Bannon was so pissed off that he contacted Beck and there was a whole bunch of flack and it was, Wait, it was really? awful. Yeah. I found this out a couple of years ago because this was back in, I mean, I had just launched the show and, and to prove that we were, you know, willing to take shots all across the political spectrum, I had a, uh, there was a monologue joke. It was about Sarah Palin and, you know, somebody did not like it. Somebody tried to shut me down, and I found out years later that it was Bannon. <laughs>
0: do, you, do you remember the joke?
3: Yeah. So uh, a book had come out. Uh, it was like a biography of, on Palin. Yeah. And it claimed that she had had, a, had an affair with uh, an NBA star. I think Glenn Rice was his name. Yes, yes. It and was, yeah. uh, so the monologue joke was like you know, this, a new book came out, blah, 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 blah you know, alleging she had an affair. And then I, you know, stopped the manga. You know, all these attacks on Palin are, un- you know, they're unfair to Sarah, her husband, and the, you know, her child, so and so, so and so, and Dunkey, which was, you know, their, uh And there was the pick the family picture. There was one kid. They she had a black kid in an NBA jersey.
0: Gotcha. Um, yeah.
3: And and uh, and yeah. They, you know, they didn't like that. And then the other part of the joke was that um, uh, she it was supposed to be a two-night stand, but she quit halfway through. <laughs> and, uh, you know. I, you know, and it was a live audience at the time, and you heard some groans because they, they didn't like people picking on stuff. But, yeah, Bannon really ran with that and, and tr- tried to get me in trouble.
0: Wow. From from the sketch comedy show on the, right. the, 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 the subscription-based Blaze Network. Like Absolutely.
3: That- but to Beck's credit, he backed us up. He's like, listen— um, you know, I told you guys to, to poke wherever you want to poke and as long, as long as it's a legitimate joke. And that was, it was a you know, it was a joke uh, based on a book allegation. <laughs> so it wasn't like, hey, sir, pale and stupid. It was an actual joke based on, you know, something that existed. So, but yeah, then, but so we did, we were on that network for three years with our show and we had a lot of fun stuff. Like, I mean, fact-free news reporting is actually one of my favorite sketches. And we touched a lot of we did a lot of comedy that uh, no comedy shows really do. I mean, we had opinions on drones and we had opinions on the NSA and warrantless surveillance and things like that. And actually made sketches out of them. So.
0: Well, cause the, the, the thing that I really loved about the fact free news reporting sketch and, and why I was curious to pick your brain is cause the point of that sketch is not political. It is right. about how fast the media rushes to judgment and then how that dovetails into political rumor mongering or fear mongering. Right, that's, it's like,
3: yeah, it's getting it all wrong from the start and just and, and not even considering it, just like it's one thing after another, yeah.
0: And that's that's the thing that I think is just totally absent. Well, not totally absent. I'm sure some people are doing really, really good comedy and I just don't see it. But what, what's absent on the highest levels is just uh, understanding that there is general absurdity to to what's happening and whether or not you're going to invent a a caricature of trump we all know what it feels like to look at your phone and have something be like oh geez the president and at the time that we're recording this yesterday the president tweeted out a thing in settling a a case with the attorney general in which he casually mentions that the old attorney general had to and i'm quoting verbatim had to resign for beating up women Right. Which is for for whatever you would say, normally is not something that comes out of the president's mouth. There are. elements, Yeah, exactly. There are elements of this that we can understand are absurd. And yet nothing is 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 being mined uh, uh, right now for that. Yeah. And that's uh, amazing. uh,
3: We we would tackle stuff like that on a regular basis. We had actually you mentioned Rush to Judgment. We had a sketch called Rush to Judgment, which was the same thing with two pundits at a table basically stepping on one another to rush to judgment on a political news story yeah, yeah.
0: which i mean again, and, and that's
3: a nonpartisan partisan thing i mean you can you know the, the media is bad all over so you can certainly there are plenty of jokes to be found there
0: well and and it it just highlights what uh, i think comedy is a, is at its best going to do the the truth that we all know that nobody wants to say out loud and and if if part of that is oh these people on television i bet you these aren't well-considered points that they're making, they're probably right. just trying to rush to see to be the be the guy that says the thing first, then that's that's again, it is beyond ideology. It's about a, a bizarre profession right. Uh, uh, all right. so uh, uh, what is uh, uh, for the, the 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 podcast that you're doing now? How long has that been going?
3: We just started it in October. so last month we we've just uh, we just did our sixth episode of questionable material. And um, it is myself and then Jack Helmuth, who was my showrunner at the B.S. of A. And it is uh, I would say it's uh, social commentary, satire. We uh, have interviews with like we uh, our last episode, we interviewed the new head of ISIS.
0: Okay, good. That's that's a hell of a get
3: (laughs) with their uh, their new uh, their new tactic is now it's called Jizadun. It's the Jihad of annoyance. Mm. And he kind of gets into their how they're going to um, uh, promote this this new ideology. (laughs) and we have news that is definitely not made up. Yeah. And uh and some uh, back and forth between myself and Jack.
0: Now, coming from the Blaze, is that something that that you I mean, I guess in in talking with our, our mutual friend Andrew Heaton, uh he uh-huh. is he's very very uh, uh thankful to the time he spent at the Blaze, but there certainly is an idea because Glenn Beck was such a gigantic figure. The blaze was the empire that he creates after he leaves Fox news that there is kind of, I'm going to say stigma. Heaton has not said stigma, but do you feel that that's something that uh, from a comedic place you need to work around? Are you cognizant of that?
3: Uh, yeah, I will use Glenn Beck's exact words to me, which is that you will now have the Glenn Beck taint, (laughs) which is not the most pleasant visual. No, uh, no, it's not. But, you know, he, he fully understood and I understood, you know, that, you know, there was, and I, I would see it too. You'd see it in comments. You'd see it on sketches that were not partisan, that were truly funny sketches. And then somebody would be like, oh yeah, but a Glenn Beck right wing, you know, and, and then they just write off the sketch. And then other people would say, I can't believe this is on Glenn Beck's network. I mean, yeah. so, um, but yeah, there's definitely a stigma attached with it. I think, you know, at the time when we had the show, which was 2011 to 2013, it, you know, it, Things weren't as awful as they are now, so I think Heaton, who came in a little later, you know, experienced a lot more of his friends going, "What are you doing?" As a, you know, I didn't have that kind of, you know, horrible experience that he had. I think.
0: <laughs> well, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I think also at that point, I think Glenn Beck had done the "I'm gonna be a moderate" uh, uh, tour through the media and everything, and and who knows where he is now, but. Uh is yeah. that is that something that that's frustrating to you because uh, obviously as as a comedian you want the most pure connection with the audience that you can and it seems like no matter what you're going to be you know trying to fight through static.
3: Yeah, I, you know and that's you know, and Jack and I have talked about that. It's like, you know, we just we like to entertain and we don't, you know, t- like to take sides. We like to point things out that we find are funny and make fun of them. And so we're not looking, you know, to, to capture a, a segment like oh, we only want to capture the right. We only want to capture the left. We just want to entertain people who are actually entertainable these days. Yeah. Because you, know, you have a lot of people who just shut down <laughs> and, Like they hear a word they don't like and shows over. They don't want to hear it. You know, Chappelle has a whole, you know, special about that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our goal, I, I can't if if somebody's going to write you off because, you know, you have somebody they don't like on your resume. There's really nothing I can do about that. You know, I'm I'm not going to beg and plead for someone to like my joke. You know. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, do you think that that's just a permanent state? That now that we are in a a, a world where everything is recordable, it, it's not like it was in in a pre-internet era where time could go by. Now you're with the new organization, and and there's a new element. Uh, of you know, there's a new view of of you that like no matter what, you're always going to have a Wikipedia page or you're always going to have a Google results and people are always going to be able to draw their own conclusions based on your past?
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's any way to escape that. And I, you know, and I know I've been hurt. Like, I, uh, I had a, my literary agent had recommended uh, for years that I write a, a children, a young adult book because yeah. I'm, I'm a young adult at heart. And so I finally put one together. Uh, she really liked it. And we had an almost impossible time getting anybody to look at it. And to the point where I don't think many, and I think a lot of them, you know, they, they looked into me and they're like, oh yeah, we can't, we can't go that direction.
0: Just because of the blaze.
3: Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, yeah. That's you know. wild. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to have a pseudonym.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Nom de plume, right.
3: Or if you'd like to publish a book, we can work something out.
0: Sure. 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 Yeah.
3: It's really fun.
0: Well, I mean, you can just publish it anonymous, as as the new uh, warning right. book is, right? Like exactly. that seems to be all the rage now. You can just have no accountability.
3: That's a nice idea.
0: <laughs> I, I uh, uh, yeah, that, that's a that's a that's a whole other thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, just reading 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 the book reviews for that today have been just a, a, a treat a treat this morning.
3: Is it, have they reviewed it before it's even come out? Is that? Yeah, the, uh, the Washington yeah.
0: Post and the New York Times got uh, advanced copies. And uh, the, the Post was a lot more kind than the Times, who kind of goes out of their way to theorize that maybe this person doesn't exist.
3: <laughs> oh, wow. Uh,
0: but anyhow. All right. Uh, so do you think that political comedy in general, writ large, is at any kind of inflection point does it get better or worse from here
3: i think i mean you know i think people are in a weird state leading up to this election so probably you know worse yeah i think you know I, but i also know like you know on from you know the the twitter world as opposed to like the the real world there's you know a lot more miserable people on twitter who are very vocal yes as opposed to the real world. And I think there are lots more people in the real world who are just looking for something entertaining. Which was yeah. kind of the point of questionable material.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that is that is the fascinating thing is that at the end of the day, all people want is content. Right. But I guess right. we we live in a world where there's so much of it that, you know, there there is kind of a, a choosing beggars thing that goes on where it's like, oh, but that's not exactly what I want. Or that's troublesome or problematic or or that is uh, perpetuating an idea that i don't like and therefore i will give it no shot
3: yeah i did one of the it was a review i saw on for our podcast and it was uh and it was great because it, it had basically said what we exactly what we were going for is that it was funny uh improvisation stuff and, and and just it was packed with jokes but it was about you know it wasn't like a partisan thing and it, it was just people being funny yeah. And how refreshing that was to actually listen to something that was just trying to entertain them. And that that was exactly, you know, the one the kind of quote we wanted.
0: Uh, how have you liked moving into the podcast world from from doing I would, something oh. higher, higher, uh, you know, in, in the in the television world, which obviously takes a lot more work because it's visual.
3: I mean, you know, I love the TV world. I loved we had a You know, we had a studio at our disposal. We had camera crews. We had you. Know, I had a staff. I had seven people. And and that was wonderful and super time consuming. I never saw my wife and kids. Uh, and then I was I'd been working on, on a show idea, a new show idea, uh, more like a web series. And then the, the podcasting just kept coming to me like, you know, man, it's a lot easier. You know, it's, it's <laughs> you don't need a studio because you know, I had a friend who actually gave me space at the World Trade Center. I have oh, a wow. very success. I have a successful friend. He's doing much better. And uh, so he's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I got this little corner office that the, you can use. And it was huge. It was this giant open space. And I was like, oh, we could set up a studio here. But it was like everything was, you know, the acoustics were bad. It just would have, it was just a pain in the ass. And then I realized, oh, yeah, a nice microphone, you know, uh, a mixer, a couple other things, and you have a podcast. And I said, why don't we do the podcast thing? So, and uh, I like it. It's it's actually, I kind of wish I had done it a few years ago.
0: Well, uh, because I have
3: more than 50 followers on Twitter (laughs) for for the show.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. To be totally honest with you, I don't know what the value of a show Twitter is. Like like people follow you. That's where they're going to look. You know,
3: it's hard not to take that. Like, you know, I have I have about 14,000, I think, followers, just my personal account. So it's hard to start from scratch and with your Instagram with two followers and your your Facebook with 12 and that kind of stuff. And you have to be like, okay, yeah, I know it, it just takes time to build up. It's just embarrassing at first.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know.
3: And it, a lot of people don't do Twitter. I mean, I, I get it. A lot of people, you know, the most important thing with a podcast, obviously, as you know, is just getting people to subscribe and to download and, and tell their friends.
0: Well, that and that's it, right? And and, yeah. and you know, it, there's the whole you know, medium is the message thing, where it's like people just aren't the 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 idea that that I think we had in the earlier part of this decade that social media is the big driver toward your like. Uh, specifically audio content, I don't think is real. Like it, it's great for text. It's it's okay for video, especially if you can embed it into like Facebook or Twitter.
2: Yeah. But
0: Twitter and Instagram and Facebook even are just so different from oh, I'm gonna sit down or I'm gonna go on a run or go you know, throughout my day and listen to this audio podcast. It's like like right. they are they are on two separate hemispheres of the brain. Yep. Uh, so, so it's just I, I a matter of
3: the link out there. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't work.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the best thing is to actually come on other podcasts where people— That's you a know, great idea. You know I'm going to try that. Yeah, you should, you should, you should get on that. Uh, all right, before I let you go, because you are based out of New York, I do want to ask you about uh, these rumors that Michael Bloomberg is now for real, for real, uh, thinking about running for president. He has flirted with this many, many times. Uh, what do you think of the the, the chances of a president Bloomberg?
3: Oh, you know, I yeah, we, I was talking about this last night with a friend of mine, and uh, she was very, very, very excited about it because she and she's a hardcore left winger, uh-huh. and and is you know completely disappointed with the lineup they presented because I uh, you know she's when I say hardcore, I mean she's a hardcore Democrat. She's yeah. not like these fringe left wing, and she she doesn't like Warren, she doesn't like Sanders. She she likes Buttigieg or Judge. I can I can never get it right, yeah, uh, but he doesn't seem feasible. Uh, and so she's incredibly disappointed, so she was actually excited at a at the prospect of a, a bloomberg run and as a new yorker who who you know I voted for him twice, and then the third time when he tried to buy the election, I said, "No, I can't support that, so I didn't vote for him um, you know he I, I, I like i mean he's kind of a nanny stater he's kind of uh, you know certain things really kind of annoy me about him, and we had actually our show had a bunch of sketches about him you know regulating salt and things like that yeah uh, but uh, he did. He, he is a he's a sharp guy. He he uh, instituted the three one one program. I don't know if you know what that is, but yeah, you, you know you call you call nine one one for an emergency, three one one for information. That was his idea, that he never really took credit for. And yeah. it's a brilliant. You call three one one for any kind of city service that you need, and they direct you the right way instead of five hundred different phone numbers. Um, you know, I don't. It's kind of interesting to me. I, I'd like to see what his platform is. But he he strikes me as the kind of moderate people seem to like. The people who I you know I know really seem to want a moderate and the Democrats just seem really determined not to offer one up. You know, Biden seemed like the closest thing and then they just all turned on him and, and you know, just <laughs> it was like a bunch of sharks just like, oh, that's the weak one. And they just all jumped on him. And I think you know, Bloomberg entering, if he does, I mean, it just shows how little faith they have in Biden winning.
0: Well, I mean, certainly how little faith that Bloomberg has in Biden winning. I mean, he is still leading nationally, which although I am I am a a hardcore Biden skeptic, I think that there is plenty of history to say that the last two times that he ran disastrously and couldn't make it past Iowa would be an indicator that maybe he is just not a good candidate for president. That being said, I, I don't know if Bloomberg is either. And aside from the fact that we just. Had De Blasio do the uh, the the you know one foot in one foot out uh, a run for president. Now his predecessor Bloomberg is in. God knows if Rudy is going to be coming in. I feel like we could have David Dinkins in this race by Super Tuesday.
3: I'll say it ain't so. Yeah, Biden. You know he's he's good for comedy for sure. And in fact, our first episode of Questionable Material we had an interview with Biden's gaff writer.
0: <laughs> that's a very. I mean, I'll tell you what. That's a busy man right there.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, he's I mean, he'd be great for material
0: <laughs> and
3: probably more so than Trump, because he's just like this, you know, gaff prone, silly person.
0: All right. Well, the podcast is questionable material. Uh, my guest has been Brian Sack. Brian, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to do the show.
3: Yeah. Thank you for having me, Justin. This is great.
0: Politics! Many of you have been kind enough to recognize that this show has undergone some changes over the last couple weeks, maybe even a month or so. A lot of that has been due to me uh, taking your opinions to heart. I did a survey. You guys wanted more deep dives. You're getting more deep dives. You wanted more quick analysis to, to make sense of what's happening. You got that as well. You wanted more interviews? You're getting more interviews. But some of the things have been a little bit more subtle. In fact, one of the things that nobody's really noticed, which I I take as good, is that my humor has been able to remain intact despite the fact that I have cleaned up the language a little bit. This is designed so you can feel more comfortable to share this podcast with other people that you think would enjoy it, but maybe don't enjoy me saying four-letter words all the time. I am very serious that I want this show to be able to spread as far and wide during the 2020 race. Because I do fundamentally believe, and it is because you guys have believed in me, that it is something very different from other political media. But one thing that has also gone away are some of our regular segments parade of wrong opinions but your emails and then there's one there's one segment that I swore I was not gonna do until somebody asked me where it had gone and lo and behold as if I were being told by the heavens to move not only did somebody ask me when we were going to bring back this segment but we got something very very worthwhile to talk about during it so ladies and gentlemen oh yeah oh yeah uh 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 we're back we're back the one and only, except no substitutes. This is the PX three original. Oh, 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 This is a Monmouth poll taken from November 7th to November 11th for the Iowa Democratic Presidential Caucus. Stepping up first to the stage with 5% of the vote. She is your senator from Minnesota. Give a big round of applause to Amy Klobuchar coming up next with 13 percent of the vote he won or almost won iowa the last time now he's back for more his name is bernie Sanders. She was leading this thing Not too long ago 18% of the vote Goes to your senator From Massachusetts Elizabeth Warren With 19% of the vote Back in second place, it is Big Joe Boyden. But, but, but your headliner, ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause. For the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, with 22% of the vote, his first number one poll, Pete Buttigieg! That is, again, Klobuchar, five. Sanders, 13. Warren, 18. Biden, 19. judge 22. The Monmouth poll... Released on November 11th. One more bit of poll news. As I release this podcast, the window has closed for the November debate. So, everybody that is already qualified, they're in. Anybody else, including Julian Castro, sorry, Charlie. And with that, we end this week's episode. I want to thank our Titanic tier on TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Adam, Jonathan, D. Laser, Andy, Paul, Mike, and Brad. If you want to join their ranks, you know where to go. Another reminder that you can email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trap Killers, and you can follow me at Young everywhere. You want to talk politics 24-7? Head on over to my Discord. That is at bit.ly slash jurydiscord. J-U-R-Y-D-I-S-C-O-R-D. But until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying politics. Has three names, but more importantly, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, still more talk about politics. But this right here, friends, is the only show that talks about. Oh!